Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the risen one, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. As I'm sure you know, people of different faiths and even different denominations within the Christian faith address their spiritual leaders by a variety of different names or titles. In Islam, for example, the word is imam, which means model or leader in Arabic. Our Jewish friends use the word rabbi, which means teacher in Hebrew. In the Christian faith, Roman Catholics use the term priest because the priest is the one who speaks to God on behalf of the people and speaks to the people on behalf of God. That is what a priest does. In some Protestant denominations, the word is minister, which means servant, or even reverend, uh, which means to be revered, which may elicit some very interesting reactions among some of you even right now. Uh, another term that is used in some churches is the word preacher, which is my least favorite of all of them. Not because I don't like preaching, but because uh, preaching is something that we do, but it's not the only thing that we do all day, every day. Even though it may feel that way to some of you, that's not actually how it goes. When I first arrived at uh, the congregation I served before coming here to St. Andrew, a member came up to me one day and said, what do you want us to call you? And I said, well, what do you call the last pastor? And she said, we called him Dave. And I said, well, okay then, call me Dave which maybe caused her to regret calling me at all in the first place. But all of that is to say to you that uh, while I really don't have a personal preference as to what people call me, as long as it's fairly polite, one of the things I like about being Lutheran is that the name we use in our tribe, though not exclusively, is the word pastor, which means shepherd, or one who guides people to pasture where they can be refreshed, where they can be fed and live and thrive and grow. And while pastors are also preachers and teachers, and hopefully they are servants, and they do conduct those priestly functions that I mentioned a moment ago, there's just something good about the relationship that's implied in that word, which is the word that Jesus uses in John chapter 10 to describe his relationship with his followers when he says to them, I am the good shepherd. Although in some languages, it literally sounds more like, I am the good pastor. Well, my guess is that Jesus might have used that particular name for a couple of possible reasons, one of which had to do with the fact that his listeners would have been very familiar with what real life shepherds did and how they did it. And I've talked about a lot, that a lot when I've preached about passages like John chapter 10 or the 23rd Psalm over the years and how shepherds had the responsibility of leading their flock literally through the deep and often dangerous valleys of the Israeli countryside and hillside onto fresh green pastures that were not always very easy to find in the Palestinian desert. How they possessed two items that they carried with them all the time. One was their rod and the other was their staff and the rod was a weapon that was used to fend off wild animals and predators like wolves and lions that would attack the flock. And the other was the staff, which was the longer pole, which had that big hook on the end of it that the shepherd would use in order to extract a sheep when it got tangled up in something or to steer the flock back 
when they started to stray away or how the shepherd would go in front of the flock and lead the flock forward because sheep like to be led. They don't like to be driven or pushed from behind, which is how we treat other animals. Or how the shepherd would lie down at the entrance to the sheep pen at night so that if anybody bothered the sheep or threatened the flock in the middle of the night, the shepherd would be the first one to wake up and respond. And then if you go back into the Old Testament and you read in books like Exodus or 1 Samuel or the, or the book of Amos, you'll see uh, some of the duties, some of the responsibilities and even legal requirements of a shepherd, all of which bring us to the bottom line that a shepherd really had to put his life on the line for the care and protection and the defense of that flock. And that there were very specific consequences if that did not happen. And so this wasn't like the hired hand that Jesus talks about in John chapter 10, who was more concerned about his wages than his sheep and was legally free to run away from the flock if it was attacked by a predator like a lion or a wolf because the hired hand is not responsible for the flock, but the shepherd is. And so with all of those things in mind, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, would have meant a lot to them. And I hope it means a lot to us about the one who comes to live among us, to make his home with us, to defend us from our enemies, to guide us forward and to steer us when wherever we try to stray away from the flock or to, uh, to get us out of whatever tangles us up and, and just isn't good for us. This is the one who comes to lead us through the deepest valleys that we might face in the course of our lives and onto the pasture of his grace and his truth to a place where we can feed on his mercy, where we can live and thrive and grow as the children of God and the sisters and brothers of the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. And so it's always a beautiful image, and especially on this fourth Sunday in the season of Easter, as we live in a world that so often feels like it's falling apart and there's no water in the desert. But another possible reason that Jesus used this particular name has to do with the fact that in ancient Israel, kings and judges and rulers and other leaders were also referred to as shepherds. In fact, the prophet Ezekiel issues a warning to all of them when he says, woe to the shepherds of Israel who are feeding themselves when they should be feeding their flocks. All of which is to say that when it comes to being a shepherd, or a spiritual leader. It certainly applies to pastors and priests and ministers, but that doesn't leave the rest of us, if you'll pardon the expression, off the hook. Because the scriptures also refer to us as being part of a royal priesthood, all of us, which gave way to Martin Luther's teaching about the priesthood of all believers. And so this is about all Christians this is about leaders in our nation and in our communities. This is about moms and dads. This is about teachers and coaches and mentors and, and neighbors and, and friends. It's really about 
everyone who has been baptized into the shepherd's flock and has heard the call of the risen Christ to feed his sheep for the hope of this broken world. And so today I would invite you to do two things as we continue to celebrate Easter, one of which is to think about what your life would be like, what your relationships would be like, what our church would ultimately be like, what this world, or at least your part of the world, would ultimately be like if you really saw yourself as one of those lower level shepherds in the flock of the good shepherd and a spiritual leader to those who are not yet part of his flock. Because in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Because he was talking to Jewish Christians who had grown up in the house of Israel and he was referring to the Gentiles. In other words, to the rest of the people in the whole world. And so to you and me, Jesus is talking about everybody. However, you may also know that shepherding God's flock is in a place of struggle and difficulty in our country right now and in other countries, but not in every country. In fact, recently the Gallup organization produced some research which found that for the very first time in all of its recorded history, membership in houses of worship has fallen below 50% of the U.S. population. It has decreased by 23% in just the last two decades. In our own denomination, we know, for example, that all of the pastors on our entire clergy roster will be eligible to retire sometime within the next five to 10 years. And that our seminaries are not remotely reproducing enough new pastors to make up for the difference. And the question of why all of that is has various answers. There's secularism in our society that even creeps its way into the body of Christ. There's confusion about the blurring of politics and religion where more people actually see the word evangelical as more of a political term than a theological one having to do with introducing somebody to Jesus Christ as the savior of their souls. In other places, there are people who go to church to hear the word of God, and yet they hear lectures on how to make the world a better place, and they're not hearing from Holy Scripture or about Jesus, believe it or not. Then you have millennials who want to make the world a better place. But according to more than one survey, hear the word church, and the first word that comes to their mind is the word judgmental. Even though this congregation that you and I are a part of was founded by people who were in their 20s predominantly at the time. And so we need to look at all of those things. Because while I believe in absolute truth, from God above, I also believe in the old saying that people really don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And now there's the pandemic, which has led churches across the country and around the world to wonder about a flock that has been scattered by the virus and how many of them will be tempted to stray away from the fold. How many will return to the flock if they are led back to the pasture? And so I've been working with our staff and our board of directors on a document called 
season of revival at the Lutheran Church of St. Andrew, and it has three components, and they are reopening, reuniting, and rebuilding. And that second component, component, reuniting, is what I'm talking about here today. On the other hand, it may interest you to know that in the year 1900, there were 10 million Christians on the continent of Africa. By 2000, a hundred years later, 21 years ago, the number had climbed to 360 million Christians. And by the year 2025, less than five years from now, conservative estimates put the number at 633 million Christians. 633 million Christians. 273 new followers of the Good Shepherd who are part of the shepherd's flock in just the span of 25 years. And so uh, if you wonder whether bringing an Ethiopian man onto the full-time staff of the Lutheran Church of St. Andrew in Silver Spring, America is some sort of an accident, well, guess what? And while we all have things that we have to learn about the ministry, you got to start to wonder who's going to be teaching who. And so I would invite you to think and to pray about how you will hear the shepherd's call in your life and how you might walk with somebody else in your life through their darkest valley, no matter who they are, no matter what age they are, no matter where they're from, no matter what their religion, and even if they have no religion, and lead them on to the pasture where they can be fed with God's grace and truth. I invite you to think and to pray about how you will help to reunite and to defend the flock for which the Good Shepherd has laid down his life. How will you gently grab hold of somebody who is tangled up in something that's just not good for them, or or they might be straying away from the flock and guide them back to the shepherd's fold because they know how much you care. In my life, I can tell you that the purpose of it is not to make the world a better place. The purpose of my life as a Christian is to honor and glorify the good shepherd, to listen to him, to follow him, to serve him, and to make him known in the world around me. Because when I do that, by the grace of God, then hearts are changed, including my own and those beyond it. And when that happens, then I very naturally start to make the world a better place. I start to do justice. I start to take better care of the pasture and also of the people in a world that would be lost forever if it didn't have the good shepherd. It's just that the relationship and the priorities are now in the right alignment. And so first and foremost, however, I would encourage and invite you today to rejoice in the goodness of the good shepherd who laid down his life for you. 
who used one or more of his lower level shepherds to, to introduce him to you so that you can know the one who calls you by name, who defends you from the enemy, who gently and lovingly steers you back to his flock, who pulls you out of those things that you get tangled up in that just aren't that good for you, and who is willing and always ready to walk with you through the deepest valleys of your life to a place of pasture where you can be fed and live and thrive and grow on something far better than the world at its best can ever give to you as you discover what it means to follow the good shepherd of your soul and to become one of his shepherds in your generation for the hope of the world. I often wish I was a better pastor, but fortunately for you, we're just waiters at the greatest table in the world where you can also be fed by the goodness and the mercy, the grace and the truth of a loving God, and then discover what it means to become one of his shepherds, one of his spiritual leaders for the hope of this broken world, because there is nothing in all of life that is better than following him or in knowing that somebody else has their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life because our God used one of his sheep to be one of his shepherds. Until, as it says in the book of 1 Peter, the chief shepherd appears and you receive the crown of glory that will never fade away when the flock of God is fully reunited in the house of the Lord forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.